0: hello and welcome to the world famous driving you crazy podcast it's the show where we talk all things transportation anything that gets you from here to there i am the traffic anchor and transportation specialist
1: for denver 7 news jason luber and i'm the pedestrian advocate public transportation advocate joseph peters uh good to be back it is good to be back uh you mean on the show yes you mean
0: not just back here in denver also back in denver but yes back on the show We have a huge interview today. Sometimes we reel in the big ones. Uh, Sometimes we get some medium fish. Most of the time, look, all the fish we get here are great fish. Fish are fish. They are the greatest fish. But this is a pretty big fish here. On the show today, we're going to speak uh, with Jim Nichols. And Jim is the Senior Manager of Product Technology and Brand Communications at Volvo. That's a pretty impressive business card right there. Uh, we're going to speak to Jim about uh, a troubling trend in driver's education, and it is not as widely offered in high schools around the country anymore, and uh, I, I remember I went through driver's ed when I was a kid uh, yep. in high school, yep. and it was a great
1: class. Well, and it was consistent, too, yeah. right? I mean, you're taking classes multiple times a week, so you're going to have more practice and you'll feel like a better driver when you're finally out there on the road.
0: And one of the incentives was that your parents were going to get lower insurance rates mm-hmm. uh, when they put you on their plan. Yep. And uh, so that is just not as widespread around the country anymore. And they also, because Volvo teamed up with a Harris Poll to combine to uh, to take a poll of, of what people think about driver's education. And one of the interesting parts of it is that they say the kids are really learning only how to take the test and not necessarily how to be a better driver.
1: Mm-hmm. And so we'll talk to Jim all about that. I mean, that's something we see across all walks of education right where people are just learning to take the test instead of learning skills and that doesn't work in the real world i
0: hear it all the time even in the elementary school level with my kids that they are then right before the standardized tests that help the education system that they're learning to take the test and not learning to be a better person Mm -hmm. and so that's somewhat frustrating uh especially for my wife she gets really angry at all that stuff uh, we also, I mean, since we'll have Jim on the line, we have to talk to him about the future of cars and autonomy, and uh, you know, electric versus gas, and and all the other futures of cars.
1: Yes, the end of human drivers. Yeah, <laughs> that, fingers yeah. crossed.
0: So that interview will be just in a bit when he uh, when he gives us a call here. Uh, but first, let me take you to Greenville, South Carolina, where police say a woman was able to steal a car after she threw a live snake at the driver. Oh. That would make me get out of the car, too. Yes. Uh, And if that wasn't weird enough, then the car thief, after she threw a live snake at a driver to steal the car, she drove off, but later crashed through barricades set up for a pole vaulting exhibition. Can you believe that? No. Why would anybody crash through the barriers set up for a pole vaulting exhibition? Why would there be a pole
1: vaulting exhibition? Because
0: people want to exhibit their pole vaulting skills.
1: Yes, but is there anybody to exhibit those skills, too?
0: I don't know. Hmm. The person has been charged with carjacking malicious damage to property and five traffic violations. She was hurt in the crash, but not seriously. And police say the snake wasn't venomous and also was not hurt in the crash and was found and released in the nearby woods. Oh, good. Okay. So So that snake's going to resurface. The the, the snake (laughs) survives.
1: Wonderful.
0: All right. Now, a woman in Dixon, Illinois... She's facing charges after police say she was caught driving her car with two children in an inflatable swimming pool that was on the top of her car. No. <laughs> no. Yeah,
1: that's no. It. No. That's the winner right there. Are
0: there pictures? Uh, I did not see any pictures. I wish there were pictures. Uh, actually, I think there are pictures. You should look up and see if there's pictures. I can do that. So, basically, on top of her car... This is, this is how it went out. There was an inflatable swimming pool, and it was empty of water. And in that inflatable swimming pool were her two daughters, ages 8 and 16. So mom of the year was pulled over by police after being spotted. And the lady told police that he had, she had basically just driven over to her friend's house to inflate the pool because her friend had some way to inflate the pool. And then this lady with the inflated pool... Needed to get it back home so she, her daughters could enjoy this inflated pool full of water. Uh, and, and so the only way she figured that she could do it is by putting it on the roof of her car because you couldn't get it inside the car because it was too big because it was inflated. And then to weigh it down because you wouldn't want it to blow away, she put her two children
1: in the pool <laughs> on top of her car. There's two important details from this. One, it's an Audi. It's not just oh, a yeah, oh, yeah, no. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. She was driving her Audi uh, Q5.
1: She put an inflatable pool on top of her Audi. Yes. Okay. Two, I mean... <laughs> you have the picture. <laughs> there is a picture.
0: <laughs> Mom has been charged with two counts of endangering the health or life of a child and two counts of reckless conduct.
1: She is 49 years old. Yes, she is. She should know better. You would think
0: so. My God. So she apparently thought that, all right, once I, get, once I get over there and I blow this thing up, how am I going to get it back home? Because she had to plan it out, right? Right. So you, you have to plan out this process. And she, I guess, didn't plan it out the right way.
1: If it's an inflatable pool that fits on top of a car, you would think she would be able to just carry it, drag it, have her oldest child carry it. They could tag well, it. Well, how
0: far is it from one friend to the other friend? Who cares? It's
1: inflatable. You don't have to fill it with water before they you are go. They Jason. They are heavy.
0: They are awkwardly heavy. And I know a 16-year-old could help mom carry it, but the 8-year-old is going to be no good in the situation. <laughs> That's true.
1: That's so true.
0: Being the father of a 7- and 10-year-old, I know how they operate. No,
1: sir. That 8-year-old eight, that is a handicap.
0: Pretty much in this situation yep, it is. Yep. Um, so there you go. There's mom of the year. Uh, I've talked for a long time on this show how I think we could get people to stop messing with their phones while they're driving. You make the fine for using them. Ridiculous. Outrageous. Super, super jaw-dropping. Well, down in Australia, in the province of Queensland, drivers caught using a mobile phone now behind the wheel could be given a $1,000 on-the-spot fine as part of their get-tough approach. Oh, I like that. The $1,000 fine is more than double the current penalty of $400, And it would make it the harshest in Australia and among the highest in the entire world. Transport Minister Mark Bailey, he is also calling for anyone who is caught using their phone while driving a second time. So the first time it's $1,000. The second time you would have your license suspended. Boom. That is some hefty penalties. Yes. Now the government there says that too many drivers are just ignoring their current law, and they have had a bunch of crashes recently. They say 40 deaths on Queensland roads because of distracted drivers in just the last two months. And so the transportation department there says enough, and we're going to figure out a way to stop it right now. And they must have been listening because we are downloaded there in Australia, and they must have been listening to this show where I have advocated that you make the fine ridiculously high and people will stop doing things.
1: I also think you should be able to, do, to direct deposit that fine within like three days. Like they should have to feel that financial pain immediately instead mm-hmm. of waiting for the court process.
0: Now the government there is also monitoring the results of a test in Australia where they're actually using roadside cameras to catch people using their cell phones. So you don't necessarily have to pass a cop who is going to see you do it. They have cameras, photo cell phone yep. spotting yep. cameras, that will get you anywhere. Um, now, that doesn't stop people. Like when we have photo red light cameras, people know where they are, so they're, they're more cognizant of stopping at those intersections. Or they're not. Well, yeah, then there's the dopes that don't. <laughs> but a lot of people, like with the express lanes is a good example. People know where those toll readers are, and they'll jump out of the express lanes so they go around the toll reader, and then they'll get back in the express lanes when they're past it, so they don't have to pay the toll. So they're using the toll lane without paying the toll. Yep. Now, people might know then where these cameras are, and then they're putting their phone down, driving nice when they pass the cameras, and then start using their phone again. So it's not perfect, but it's a good start. Yep. Um, the new fine, they want to have it start working there by the end of the year. Now, elsewhere around Australia, using a cell phone while you're driving – we'll get the following penalties. In New South Wales, it's $337. 484 in Victoria, $250 in the Northern Territory, 534 in South Australia, 400 in Western Australia, and 577 in the Australian Capital Territory, the old ACT.
1: Oh, oh yeah. yeah.
0: Now, when you make fines crazy high, it will change behavior. I've always said it. You get less what you tax, and you get more of what you incentivize. Yes, sir. So if you tax them, fine them, especially outrageously, you're going to get less of that behavior. And so I I applaud Australia, Queensland, for making this move, and I'll be interested in the next six months to see how well it works in, uh, one, helping to curb the number of deaths that they see there, and also how many fines they actually receive – uh from people still
1: using their phone and frankly hopefully it works well because then it's a roadmap for other countries you miss municipalities etc to do the same thing and you know what i I was thinking because not everybody has the money
0: to pay the fine i remember getting a speeding ticket one time when i was in statesboro in college and i went to court and i i told the court the judge i said well i i really the fine wasn't it was 50 bucks or something stupid like that and I said sir I I don't really have the money right now so so can I just spend the time in jail or work it off some way <laughs> Cause look, honestly, I had the weekend. I had, or I had some time coming up where I did. It didn't
1: matter if I was in jail or not in jail, and I could have just hung out. That's a special place, man, where you you think to yourself, nah, I can't afford this fine. Just put me in jail for a few days. I probably no.
0: I I, I know I could. It would have been, been a couple hours. I know I could have fine. You know, paid the fine, but I would have rather saved the money yep. and just paid with my time there in jail or whatever. And he says, No, no, no. You're gonna pay the fine. Get out. And so I had to pay the fine. We need
1: the money more than we need your sad self in this jail.
0: But for $1,000, that's a different story. Not everybody has a grand to go drop down if they get this fine. So maybe there's a way to make them work it off, but, but maybe not just in jail doing nothing. Yeah, garnish their wages. Well, no, how about even something better? Make them work for Habitat for Humanity. Make them work at the uh, soup kitchen. Um, you know, have them do some public, make- maybe have them go down to the highway and clean up the highways. Uh, and do some highway cleanup work or something. I mean, do something for the community that's helping. It. Go to the old folks' home and help them cross the street.
1: Yeah, Yes, I like that one. That's Go a good to
0: one. a animal um, shelter and, and feed the dogs and the cats and <sighs> clean them up and do all those kind of things. You've, I mean, help
1: out. You're going to make me be the Republican here and say, I'd rather just garnish their wages. <laughs> just give me the money. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> I'm trying to help society here with the people who don't have the money. I'm trying to help our budget. Maybe they could go into teaching driver's ed the right way. Maybe we could do that. That's, that would be a way to do it. You, Joseph, are a new adult driver, and you just went through the process of getting your driver's license again. But most student drivers in pursuit of their driver's license may not be getting the level of education that truly prepares them to be safe and confident drivers. That statement actually comes from a new study that's been conducted by the Harris Poll for Volvo. Volvo. The poll says more than half of Americans feel that driver education is outdated. And there's actually a lot of interesting findings that came out of this poll. So to explore more about this poll and the state of our student drivers, we've invited Jim Nichols. He's the Senior Manager of Product, Technology, and Brand Communications at Volvo to join us here on the show. Jim, thanks so much and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks for having me. About 50 years ago, 95% of the students had access to public driver's ed. 35 years ago when I was in high school, I took a driver's ed class in school where you did it as part of the school day, but now only, what, about 10 states of the United States have dedicated public education programs for driver's education. So how are kids learning to drive?
2: Well, what we're seeing a lot is that the efforts are falling to the parents, which of course puts all of us on notice because our kids are watching us. They're watching how we drive. And they're turning to their parents to learn how to drive. And so now the question becomes, <clears throat> if the education right now among adults is, is questionable about driving capacity, what are we passing on to our kids? And um, that's something that I think all of us should really think about. And I think that when you look at people driving on the road, a lot of people would have a tendency to kind of agree with some of the findings that we had.
0: As you said, we're learning now mostly from our parents. Just about everything we learn comes from our parents, whether it's how to eat and how to sleep and how to do all kinds of things. Should our parents be the ones that are teaching us to drive and not relying on public education or outside driving schools?
2: Well, I think that certainly depends on um, a personal preference. But I think, though, what we're doing is we're asking uh, parents to take on this responsibility for making sure that they are up to date on the latest roads on the ro- uh, rules of the road but also the the dynamic of driving has changed over the last several years We have a lot of new technologies in the cars we have new distractions we have new things to be aware of and all of us could use a refresher and our basis was looking at, Uh, where Volvo is based, which is in Sweden, which has an extraordinarily robust driver education program and as a result has one of the lowest uh, injuries and fatalities related to vehicle accidents per capita of almost anywhere in the world. And then you bring that to the United States where we have a, a vastly different kind of profile. Um, We've kind of leveled off um, when it comes to accidents in the United States and, and injuries. We're seeing people that are reporting in that they believe that driving now is more difficult than it was 10 years ago, that there's more distractions on the road, that people are driving more aggressively. And when you go out and you look at the environment for learning how to drive, and you look at the tone of a lot of the material that's out there, it's all about helping you to pass the test. It's saying, you know what, you take this course and, and, you know, you're guaranteed to pass the test. And the question really shouldn't be, should we just be striving to pass a test, which, by the way, is different in every state, but should we be focusing on how to be the best drivers that, that we can be? And it's one of those things where it's very easy to be driving down the highway and say, well, you know, it's everyone else. Um, but I think if you really kind of reflect and you just kind of monitor yourself maybe on your commute, you could say, yeah, there's some behaviors here that I think all of us could could do a refresher on.
0: Now, Jim, you mentioned that if we, uh, as Americans, we we are aggressive and we're driving faster and we have less uh, temperament to deal with the uh, bad things that are happening on our drive. But th- that's that's truly more American than it is Swedish. So maybe that's why they... Uh, have better driving statistics than we do here i don't know i would say it's more
2: human i would say that you know when it comes down to human behavior and, and human things i don't necessarily think that it's societal um you know when it comes to distractions when it comes to uh safe driving and things like that all of our research has shown that when we go around from country to country that everyone has the same end goal everyone would like to, to for them and their family to get home safely They want to drive in a safe environment. Uh, They want to try to reduce um, injuries. No one goes out and says, you know what, I want to go have an accident today. So um, there absolutely are some societal differences in the importance of the car. Uh, In the United States, uh, a car, I think, is, is a little bit more important than it is in some other countries of the world. Um, but as far as when it comes to the safe driving and everything that I think it's universal that everyone wants to get home safe.
1: You know, we've talked a lot about geography during this conversation. And one thing that I'm curious about in your research is the difference between Swedish drivers and American drivers and drivers really in all other countries versus American drivers. Cause you had mentioned earlier that your research isn't necessarily to call Americans bad drivers, but you do point out that Americans have a higher opinion of themselves than other than maybe the metrics would indicate they should have. Uh, so I just wonder what American drivers score at and how they compare to drivers in other countries.
2: Well, you know, what I would say is that uh, the the thought that you are a better driver than you are is not purely American. Um, if you go to Sweden, if you go to Germany, if you go to Canada, uh, it's just human. Uh, we all have a tendency to believe that, um, you know, we may be better at a task than, than what a test or standard may may tell us. So, you know, what I would say is that um, the the ethos behind a driver, whether they be in Europe or in the United States, is is not really that difficult, different. You know, we all want to get to our lo- location in a, in a safe way. Um, what I would say, it's more of the driving experience. In Europe, you have, you know, more urban environments. You have uh, smaller roads. You have narrow corners and stuff like that, where in the U.S., we have a lot of wide open highways and things like that. So it's really just more of... Um, you know, kind of a perception of, of different things within these countries. But at the end of the day, driving is a very human experience, and uh, luckily, as humans, we are all very similar.
1: Now, you mentioned that part of the issue in this country is that driver's education programs are teaching to the test instead of teaching you how to drive. I would push back on that a little bit and say, is it possible that the driver's test that we're asking people to pass in these states isn't rigorous enough to really capture a portrait of if they're a good driver? Do you have any insight on that?
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that is, in fact, the crux of the, uh, of the issue. If we look at what is, is out there kind of in the marketplace, what we're having is we're having a reaction to the driver test requirements that are in all the states. And so, and of course, it varies from state to state. A driver's test in Pennsylvania is going to be different than a driver's test in Florida, which is going to be different than a driver's test in California. And while there are certain basics that all of these things handle, uh, they handle them at, at, you know, with a different rigor. So I'll give an example. Like when I got my driver's test, and I will not reveal number of years or, <laughs> or the state, but it's really not that long ago, not too long ago, but it's long enough. Um, my requirement was to drive around the block and that was my, that was my driver's test. And so, you know, there was no focus on, you know, you can say whether it, whether it matters to know how to to parallel park and things like that, but there, you know, there, there was no experience or requirement for the driver to get the vehicle in a panic situation and try to teach that driver how to get out of it. So when we looked at the Swedish model, you know, what they do is part of their driver's class is they put the, the, the students onto a skid pad. They put the students into, um, you know, kick plates and into uh, water tests where they put the student in a situation where the, they start to lose control of the vehicle and they teach them how to regain that control. And so that is a requirement in order to get a driver's license in in sweden and so when you look at that and and the level of preparation that creates and then you look at the the mirad you know checkerboard that we have in in the united states i think it is fair to say from a motivation standpoint that if the state driving tests were modeled a little bit differently that you would likely have a different response from you know kind of that that education community
0: but jim a a kid in arizona is not going to need to know how to to go through a skid test like a kid in minnesota would need to
2: well to an extent i mean you're talking about ice and things like that but you still have wet pavement and you know that's also making the assumption that 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 kid is going to be staying in arizona for the rest of his life um you know we are a nation that moves and, you know, we move within the country, we drive all over the place. I mean, the, the great American road trip is is ingrained in our culture, and the ability to drive from Washington to Florida is a great thing. And with that, there are, are lots of different types of, of, of driving environments.
0: But you wouldn't think that that kid who is 16, 17, 18 is going to be moving up to Minnesota. Maybe, I guess, if they were going to college up there where it is a different kind of weather, then, then maybe they would need to know those skills. But, yeah, I, I you know narrowing it down to just all right in sweden they have to teach these because they have all basically one uh type of weather in that country it's not like the entire united states where it's where we have 50 different schools if you will for driving Mm -hmm. it's different than in a smaller country like sweden yeah no look you
2: can definitely make a comparison against the the physical geography uh you know between between the countries you know but at the end of the day You know, when we look at a a vehicle and the ability for the driver to recover a vehicle that has lost control, no matter what the, you know, elements are of the test, maybe because it's speed, maybe because they're at highway speed and a truck has just, you know, something has just fallen off the back of a truck in front of that car and you have to do an evasive maneuver. You know, it's not always necessarily weather. We find that you have similar threats, uh, you know, taking weather out of it. Um You know, something falling off the back of a truck at sixty five miles an hour can happen in Alaska. It can happen in Puerto Rico. Um, the ability to to evade that and not have an accident, keep yourself safe and keep the people around you safe is it's universal so I, I i I don't buy into the notion that uh, you know kind of weather differences between state to state is a reason why we shouldn't have you know this kind of instilled and I think when you go out and you ask people that are driving on the road do you want to be surrounded with other people that are driving on the highway with you to know how to deal with evasive maneuvers and things like that I think you're going to get a a, a qualified yes and you know also what we found from the research is that yes people do believe that they themselves are, are, are good drivers and we don't necessarily dispute that but when we asked him, he said, well, you know, would, if this was made available to you, kind of this defensive you know, driving and, and you know, these evasive maneuvers and you had the opportunity to take these cars in scenarios, would you do it? A lot of people do say yes. And there are certainly programs in schools that make that available, uh, but it is not a widely available um, thing because it, there's not a tremendous amount of incentive uh, or awareness for people to do it.
0: We're speaking with Jim Nichols, the senior manager of product technology and brand communications at Volvo about driver's education and how it's changed over time. Jim, this is a problem, it seems like, in how the schools, whether it's a public school or it's a private uh, driving school, then teaches and has their course uh, curriculum set up. So how would you like to see these curriculums changed in order to see better drivers?
2: So well, it, it comes down to resources, right? And, and you know, at Volvo, we view it incumbent upon us um, to be able to provide as, as you know, resources as we can. Um, you know These schools are operating in the best way that they can. They're operating um, in, the, in the way in which makes sense uh, for them and, and for their students, which is kind of the focusing on the passing of the test. Um, by providing more information, providing more education, providing more opportunity, to access technologies and access like virtual reality and things like that, so that um, more students can go through the, the the process of of you know learning how to properly handle a car, learning evasive maneuvers and things like that. That's where we can start. Well, of course, we always support um, that the testing procedures um, would be able to focus on those things, but we don't necessarily always think that. Uh, you know, regulation and, and, and testing needs to be done. I think if you go to, uh, let's say, a, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old and you say, you know what, I'm going to put you in this car and we're going to go and we're going to, you know, put in these scenarios and you're going to be safe, but you're going to learn how to maneuver and you're going to learn how to be a better driver. A lot of them are going to welcome that experience, but a lot of them don't have the opportunity to, to get there.
1: One of the things that your survey noted was the lack of public education options for uh, driver education classes. Jason and I both were talking earlier about how we both took classes through the public school program, uh, but those options have really diminished in the last few years. Why do you think that is, and do you think that that is an issue of priorities? Like, wouldn't you think that driving should be one of the most important skills that we teach children, and thus we should spend a lot of time in the classroom talking about it? Sure, I mean, I'm certainly not
2: uh, qualified to be able to say why uh, there has been that drop. We did not uh, go into that level of of research. Um, But, you know, what I would say is I think it's in everyone's best interest that because the car is such an important mode of transportation in the United States, um, and we already have an infrastructure in place, be it public education, um, to teach various things to children. I definitely think that there is a a benefit, both individually and societal, um, that driver education be part of a a normal, you know, kind of public school education curriculum. And it is patchy uh, across the country. So both of you had mentioned that you had it in the public school system. I did not have it um, in in, as a as a public school option um, when I was in school. So you know, we need that consistency as well, kind of across the country, and it needs to be available in in all t- types of, of neighborhoods, all types of schools, because driving is something that is universal.
1: I, I, let me ask this in a more direct way. Isn't it more important to learn how to drive than it is to learn calculus?
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I think, um, you know, uh, of, of course, as someone that's in the car community, um, there's going to be bias in that answer. Um, I'm sure that people in the math community could make an argument um, you know about the importance of calculus versus other things. Um, but you know the way that we see it is you are putting yourself in a uh, machine that has uh, the potential for high speed. It's a lot of uh, mass that's moving. Um, and yes, you know there is uh, absolutely value to making sure that you know how to use it properly and to use it safely on the road
0: you could almost argue that someone with a calculus degree would actually be a better driver because they could understand the physics and the propulsion and all those different math equations when it comes to driving right yeah, I mean, you certainly could. I've known
2: some other calculus majors that, you know, maybe would not be that clued in. But, uh, you know, <laughs> right. yes, that it, it, is, it is a reasonable theory.
0: The The current way that we're teaching the kids, do you think they're retaining this knowledge because we are just pretty much teaching to the test right now? Do you think they're, they're learning or they're just basically having the info come in one ear and out the other just, or, or just passing through them as fast as they could do an Instagram post?
2: Well, I mean, that's always one of the concerns. I mean, what we saw from Gen Z is that I, uh, a good chunk of them had said that, well, I just passed the driver's test within the last few years, but if I was going to take it again, uh, I wouldn't be able to pass it. And that's a concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are uh, lots of other ways that that could be examined as to why. Is it how the pre- is it how the material is presented? Is it the age group at what it's, which it's presented? So on and so forth. What we did find from the study, though, is that there, there were a good chunk of people that supported the idea that, you know, maybe every 10 years um, we should do a refresher course and, um, you know, just to kind of brush up on some things because, you know, you had earlier in the show talked about an example of a kid in Arizona. Well, let's say that kid in Arizona now moves to New Hampshire 10 years later. Um, and, you know, now he's dealing with a completely different driving setup. Uh, so there seems to be some value and it seems to be that when you ask people, what do you think about doing this after 10 years? There's a lot, of, a lot more people, I think, than you would think that would say, yeah, I think that's a pretty good idea.
0: I think I would be surprised to hear how many or, or what kind of a percentage of folks every 10 years would be able to pass the test. Uh, I, I, obviously, with what I do, I think I'd be able to handle it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there are a lot of folks, uh, my wife included, would probably have a hard time passing these tests every 10 years.
2: Well, and there's also you know the the the
0: thinking that you can pass the test
2: and then actually passing the test are are usually two different things. And what I think that a lot of people find though is if you just you know reperuse the material, it's a matter of refreshing. Um, that uh, you know it's not necessarily as it should be as stressful as as it, as people would think. Oh, I know I have to take this test. I think what was interesting also in our study that uh, people from older generations feel that they retained more from their driver's ed than people in younger generations that have been a little bit more recently in driver's ed. And I think that's when we start to combine and confuse uh, experience on the road with, with education. And uh, experience on the road is, is absolutely critical. Um, but, uh, you know, again, um, a little bit of reminder about what a full stop at a stop sign is like instead of a rolling stop. and and uh, and things like that sometimes are just useful reminders.
0: And, and along that line, one other stat that was in your study, it showed that all drivers uh, think that teens are the worst drivers out there, but the teens don't think that they're the worst drivers out there.
2: Yeah, well, that one I'm, I'm sure was not too much of a surprise. The same way that Gen Z feels that the seniors are, are the most dangerous in the road and seniors feel that. Uh, Gen Z and teenagers are the worst on the road. I mean, it's one of those things where a lot of people point the fingers at each other. Um, but, you know, we are all on the road together, no matter what your age or what you drive. Uh, you know, the 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 highway is is really kind of a great democracy. Uh, we're all there together. We're in the same location. We're all going relatively the same speed, and everyone wants to get to their destination in a, in a safe way. Um, so, you know, that kind of blame is is not um i think unexpected among the generations but uh one of the things we do highlight is that safe driving is a responsible responsibility for all of us so you know even though i may believe i'm a safe driver i do believe that it is you know my duty to those that drive near and around me that i be you know fully competent capable uh when driving on the road
0: Speaking to Jim Nichols, the senior manager of product technology and brand communications at Volvo about driver's education and the difference that it's gone through over the last 50 or so years. Jim, why did Volvo think that this was important to have this poll conducted?
2: Well, you know, we always go through and evaluate um, the interactions with our car and our focus has been on our vision that no one should be killed or seriously injured in a new Volvo car. And uh, every year we are spending millions upon millions of dollars to constantly improve the safety functions of the car. And despite all the technology that we put in there, the driver is still a very important safety feature of every car. Um, And and so we feel that a a well-educated driver um, is, is, is very important when behind the wheel.
0: All right, Jim, let's shift our focus a bit to the future of cars. And Volvo is obviously known for their safety record and the safety of their cars, but the company is always on the leading edge of technology. So how do you think the world of autonomous cars will play out here in the next five to 10 to maybe 20 years?
2: Yeah, when you look at Volvo's approach to autonomous drive. I mean, we have become one of the leaders in autonomous drive. I wouldn't say by accident, but certainly as a result of our focus on the safety functions and features. So just to take a a very brief step back, what we did is we have a, a, a crash response team that that we've had since the 1970s that is dispatched to every accident within a 200-mile radius of our factory and suite. And we actually go out to the scene, we take the measurements, we study what happened. It covers over 40,000 accidents and over 70,000 individuals. And we take that and we basically use the statistics to say, all right, what are the most common reasons for uh, accidents, injuries, and fatalities? And we started to develop technologies backwards from there. Side impact airbags, curtain airbags, everything from there. The reason why that's relevant is because all of those technologies have wound up to be necessary in order to build a proper autonomous vehicle because the number one requirement for autonomous vehicle is the ability for the car to handle road situations in in a way in which it can avoid accidents and it can keep the uh, occupants and those around the car safe. So as a result. Uh, we've been developing all this technology over a number of years and now we found ourselves in a place where we have a a pretty competent set of technologies that has come together. And you know, we talked about the driver being the safest part of the vehicle today. The question is, well, what can uh, safe driving look like when the driver is taken what we call out of the loop? So when all of the actions of driving is now delegated to the car. And um, there seems to be a spectrum in, in the world of expectations with autonomous cars. There's everything from, I think that in a week, I can summon a car on my phone, it will show up at my doorstep, I will get in, and it will take me to my destination. Um, and then there's the other side that says, I don't want anything to do with your godless driving machine. <laughs> um, right. And, you know, the the reality is is always somewhere kind of in the middle. I mean, where, where we've advanced... Um, very rapidly is in driver assist systems. So, for instance, what's on our production cars at the moment is things like pilot assist, where it will handle steering, um, acceleration, deceleration on highway environments and things for you, um, in addition to lane keeping aid and and those type of technologies. Um, it's getting to that you know final mile of changing road situations and how vehicles can react, you know, on board to kind of those changing vehicle situations. And, and that's the nut that everyone's, everyone's trying to crack you know, at the moment. And um, you know, roads constantly change, conditions constantly change, and the use of the vehicle by people is also changing. So our focus has shifted a little bit from the technology of being able to get the car to operate in an autonomous to How are people going to use this autonomous car? and and as an example of one of the things that have come out about this is you know we've developed all these safety features of someone sitting in a seat staring forward right you have your three point seat belt and everything else now we have a situation where people could be sitting in different configurations they could be sitting in different ways how do we keep them safe right and now it's opened up a whole new world of things that we need to research and that's why i think a, a definitive timeline on the massive rollout of the consumer rollout of autonomous drive vehicles is very difficult to, to nail down.
0: You can just cover the inside of all the vehicles with the same material they make Nerf footballs out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure from a durability <laughs> standpoint, but uh, and everybody would it, be picking at it and you get the whole, everyone would the be picking right? At it. that's right. That's right. Uh, so how do you think 5g technology fits into all of this?
2: Well, I mean, 5g is very important. Uh, several years ago, we had started a program with Ericsson, um, just to look at the available bandwidth um, along roadways, not only across the United States but also in Europe, because there's a few things that happen, right? Um, Obviously, there is a desire for the vehicle to be able to communicate with the cloud for various reasons, whether that be for navigation or or what have you. But then there's also the the question mark of what are people going to do when you're in the car and you no longer have to focus on the task of driving? and so people want to stream videos, they want to be on their computers, they want to be on their phones. All of a sudden now, we have this bandwidth need uh, on, uh, with roadway coverage that really doesn't exist uh, or exists in a very spotty environment. So I think what you're seeing with, with 5G and the capabilities that, that a, a 5G bandwidth can, can promote um, you know, is really all kind of great news to making sure that you have those, those pipes, so to speak, uh, of getting all that data back and forth
0: and in the limited time we have left jim i'm very curious about the care by volvo program it's that subscription-based program where you can get a car for one fixed monthly fee and and basically it takes care of everything except for uh, the license plates and filling it up with gas so how well is That's that right. how well is that program working out Uh,
2: We've had phenomenal uh, response to that program. In fact, I would say that the program has far exceeded our expectations. You know, it was a program where we sat back and we saw that people were coming in and buying their buying their first or second car ever, and they became very overwhelmed with the number of options of the vehicle that you have to get insurance that you you know all the maintenance and everything else. We said, you know what? What if we just package everything up? We'll take insurance. We'll take the car payment. We, we put the most standard spec of the car, so the only choice you have to make is the exterior color and interior color. And it's one flat rate no matter where you go in the country, and you can sign up online. It takes five minutes. You get the approval, you get the insurance approval, and then you can get your car. And what we've seen is that method has proven to be very popular um, with customers. 90% of the people that have come in through Care by Volvo are people that have never considered a Volvo before. So it, um, it has been very good for the company, and we continue to to look to expand it and figure out ways that we can make the ownership experience and the driving experience that much better for the customer.
0: Well, and right now, the $700 price tag for the lowest option, that that's still even a little bit too high for me. Is there a chance maybe we could see a lower-priced option, uh, maybe a less fancy Volvo uh, for something around the $350 or $400 range and maybe bring in some lower-income folks to it? You know, it's
2: it's hard to determine where pricing can go, um, but what we do find is that two things. The Care By Volvo program was never really designed to be kind of a value play, right? It's not like when you go to a restaurant and you add the the, the drink and everything to the side and it, and it comes to a lower price, it was always designed more as a convenience play rather than having to go and get your own insurance and, and you know deal with maintenance and tire protection and windshield wipers and everything else. We Everything is just covered. It's just done. It's just taken care of. But what we have found is that depending on where you live, um, it has become a value play. So insurance varies from, from location to location. Uh, however, care by Volvo is a flat rate. So whether you are in Denver, whether you are in Omaha, whether you are in New York City, the price is going to be the same. And so what we have found is that there are some pockets that, from a uh, you know simple geography standpoint, that it has become a, a real value, uh, just purely financial. But what we feel the value of the program is in total is for the convenience of knowing that everything is wrapped up into one. The car is taken care of. And, and, you know, if you want to change that car after a year, we welcome you
1: to do that.
0: So, Jim, finally, what's the next big thing for transportation? Are we going to see the Volvo Hyperloop? <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> you know, I think we're always looking at um, I, I, I would say probably the most interesting thing that's happening in at least car transportation is this monumental shift in energy um, and, and fuel source. Um, so, you know, with Volvo, we've committed to electrifying our entire lineup um, that will be starting to take effect as early as next year, where, you know, you will no longer, at least from Volvo, be seeing ICE-only cars. And um, that is probably one of the most monumental shifts that we've seen in the automotive world since the invention of the car. Uh, it's a very exciting time. Um, there's a lot of great things that are on the way. There's a lot of advantages that electric motors Uh, are able to provide and um, it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting ride the next several years
0: jim nichols the senior manager of product technology and brand communications at volvo thank you so much for your time your insights and uh spending the uh the last half an hour with us here on the driving you crazy podcast thank
1: you wow that was great yeah, so he mentioned towards the top that he took the driver's test several years ago, wouldn't give an exact date, but said he just drove around the block. And I can co-sign that because I took the driver's test six weeks ago, and all I had to do was drive around the block.
0: As I recall, I, I remember we were in a parking lot situation where you have the cones set up and the lines on in, in, this, in this specialized area where you did have to just drive around this lot, uh, not hit the cones, Not go across the lines, do the parallel parking, do a stop, full stop, uh, and and those sort of just basic movements, but not even drive out on the road. As I recall, but this was, honestly, that was, what, 35
1: years ago? But my first driver's test was pretty close to that. We're talking 15 years ago now, but, I mean, yeah, we we drove around a parking lot, basically. Again, I've taken a driver's test twice. I've never had to get on the highway. That feels like a problem, right? Yes, I think it should be more
0: extensive, as you said, and as we were talking about with Jim, that there should be. And, and I, I like the uh, uh, inclusion of some skid testing and mm-hmm. some weather driving. They, they actually have some schools here in Colorado to teach people how to, not necessarily kids, but to teach people how to drive on ice and snow. They actually have a school where you can do that up at Georgetown Lake in the wintertime where you're driving on a frozen lake. And so you feel what it's like to do a skid and and to turn into the skid and that whole thing. And I think it's valuable information because once you feel what that feeling is, the first time in in an experience is always the most
1: scary time. Exactly, because you don't know what you're doing and you don't have the experience of having it done. Right, right. So you have no idea how to approach the problem because you haven't seen the problem before. And the second time you see it, you've seen the problem before, but you still might not know how to approach it. That's where the coaching becomes so important because you want the first time you see the problem to also know how to attack the problem.
0: Experience is the best teacher. My youngest daughter, Jolene, she learns by experience. it's, It's so different between my oldest daughter, who is... I could tell her that the stove is hot, don't touch it, and she trusts daddy. And I could tell that same message to jolene but she has to touch it to see it's hot for herself mm-hmm. and so I think dr- different drivers different people learn in different ways and 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 for everybody experience is the best teacher uh and, and so it'd be really nice to expose people to all those different scenarios I, I doubt you were going through any of that in your driver's training
1: no no man my in my driver's training this most recent time we just kind of hung out you know i drove a couple times around the street i drove once for 45 minutes i was good to go like (laughs) that's that shouldn't be the way that it is no those shouldn't be the people that we're putting on the road not to say that i'm a bad driver i'm a great driver but all right rain man but (laughs) and and you'll attest to this it's now your
0: hours behind the wheel that that a lot of them from new england to the south and then back here have helped out And every day you're going to become a better driver because you're going to see some new experience. Every day I'm a better driver because I see a new experience or I learn something. And and driving has changed over the last, especially in big towns where we see a lot of growth over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, but you don't notice the changes necessarily because they happen so gradually for you whereas for me it's like the last time I drove I was 24 and living in the south in the in the sticks and now I'm 30 and I'm living in the middle of one of the most booming metro areas in the country. <laughs> yeah. You know it's it's really night and day and your your skills haven't evolved at all in those 6 years. So that's where the disconnect comes in for me personally.
0: I still wish uh Volvo would or some car maker and maybe it's not Volvo because they do have some higher end vehicles, right? Maybe uh, Chrysler, or Ford, or some of the other companies that have lower-end cars. Saturn. Well, I guess there's not Saturn anymore, is Unfortunately, there? Unfortunately.
1: There's still Saturns uh, on the road, though, believe you me.
0: Hyundai or whatever. Uh, I-, I wish there was a subscription service that was less expensive, maybe three to $400, rather than... The seven to eight hundred
1: dollars. Jason, you're on to something here, man. We need like the the Netflix of beater cars. Yes, you just pay a hundred dollars and you can crank through as many cars from the early two thousands as you want, baby. Like crash one two thousand three Honda Accord, will get you a two thousand one Volkswagen <laughs> Jetta with two hundred twelve thousand miles on it tomorrow.
0: So maybe uh, Drive Time or AutoNation or one of those folks. Yes, crap, AutoNation. car like Car Max. <laughs> Right, so, yeah, something like that. By the way, did you see that video last week of the people in Atlanta who were picking up all that money that came out of the armored truck?
1: (laughs) No, but I love those videos when I've seen them in the
0: past. Oh, the side door of this armored truck opened up while it was driving on the highway, and cash was just spewing out onto the westbound lanes there, and the driver of the armored truck didn't even realize what was happening until somebody pulled up next to them. And was saying, hey, your door's open and money is flying out of your truck. <laughs> Why did they tell him? And then he freaked out. Um, they estimated the loss at $175,000 all over the interstate. And there were dozens of people that stopped in the road or pulled over to the shoulder and were just picking up the, the as many bills as they could. Some people would just pick up a couple as they would open their door and then they'd, slam, they'd keep on driving so they didn't even stop. Oh, I mean, it's crazy. But the cops, because there's so many videos of people that, that recorded what was happening, so the police
1: have descriptions, vehicle descriptions, you personal descriptions. You can't arrest somebody for and that. And then, yes, you, you can't I mean, clearly you can't arrest somebody for that, but you can't arrest somebody for that. So I'm what would sorry. you do? What would you do if you're driving no, down? That is circumstance, man. That is like winning the lottery. If an armored truck's door flies open and money starts flying out, that is fair game. That I'm is sorry. theft. That is insured. That is like, what, what, yes. what are you supposed to do? You drive on! No, man. No. That's not fair to those people. That is
0: true. The money is insured. And I was thinking, all right, so let's say somebody, because there have been people giving back the money. Because their Why? conscience is getting to them. Because God is telling them, look, you're being a bad guy. Get, get, get that money back to the rightful owners. So I think what's happening here is that people maybe not all of them, are, you know, I, I picked up this $200.
1: No. But not telling no. the police they really had $2,200. And- <laughs> this is bull. Brinkstein's or whoever, I don't know what company this is, needs to do the right thing and says, you know what? We're forgiving everybody. We're calling it a loss. We'll pay, we'll pay the $173,000 for our driver's mistake. Keep it. Cause you can- calling this theft in the letter of the law, yes, you are stealing from a person. But in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> You won the lottery, man. You drove by a truck that was throwing money out the window. Don't you think by now all the money has been picked up,
0: or maybe there were some that blew out into the woods? I can't.
1: Three years from now, somebody's going to discover a $100 bill (laughs) and be like, oh, my God, the last vestiges of the crash in Atlanta. Uh, (laughs)
0: That's amazing, isn't it? Yep. So uh, apparently in the uh, old show was it what would you do or yep. isn't that yep. what it's that's called that's abc that's Is on that our the ABC st-? yep. all right so uh, what what would you do and then uh, you would apparently stop pick up the money and then how much money would you stop and pick up all of it
1: so i've ad- as been- much as you could in the last 3 minutes i've been thinking a lot about this question would i stop get out of the car and pick up as much money as possible or would I just open the car, stick my hand out of the window, and try to grab some bills? I'm not very coordinated, so I don't think <laughs> if I tried to drive past it, I would get any bills. So, yes, I would pull over and get some bills before I drove on.
0: I am living in a world where uh, – because uh, I'm a TV person, and unfortunately, people watch what I do. Uh, when I go to the grocery store, people are watching what I'm putting in my basket. I, I don't like it, but it's just part of the job. And I, I always uh, live under this – Sense that I'm being watched all the time. And so that's another reason I would just
1: motor on. Good for you, man. The right answer is I would stop, pick up the money, and return it to the police immediately.
0: Would I want to stop and pick up as much money as I could? Oh, baby, would I. But I just, my, my, the little guy inside would say, uh uh-uh, uh, don't do it. Just keep on driving. Well, Anyway, I wish I could have all that money. (laughs)
1: $173,000.
0: Instead, I will settle for your phone calls and messages. And please call us at 303-832-0217. Send us an email or a voicemail. Uh, The the link there is on this uh, podcast show. It's right there driving you crazy podcast at google.com you can send us an email you can leave us a voicemail message 303-832-0217 i tried it just today and it works great goes right to the message it doesn't even go to a ring Mm -hmm. you don't even have to wait through pesky rings it just picks up boom and then you're on and i want to at this point we should be maybe we should start begging for
1: calls we could pay for them
0: It's a whole different phone call.
1: Let's go find an armored truck.
0: see most of those ads at about 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm getting into work. (laughs) Thanks again for being here. It was a great show. Appreciate uh, Jim for joining us, Jim Nichols with Volvo. It was a great interview, so we appreciate his time today. Thanks again for listening. And until next time,
1: I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. I'm notorious driver education critic, Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.